Welcome back to Heroes of the Faith, a show where we are inspired by the lives of the saints so that we can become saints ourselves. I am your host, Isaac Longworth, and I am studying to become a Catholic priest. And when I'm in school studying for the priesthood, I read a lot of different textbooks, books written by different saints and theologians, the the wisdom of the church throughout the ages. But by far, the saint who I read the most books from when I'm in class is from our saint today, St. Thomas Aquinas. St. Thomas Aquinas is an amazing saint of the church. I have lost count of the classes where we've studied him, where his writings were uh, read in order to understand deeper truths of the faith, because St. Thomas Aquinas wrote on pretty much everything that there is to write about in the Catholic faith. He wrote on sacraments. He wrote on the Bible. He wrote on virtues. But St. Thomas Aquinas is not just a writer, but he is an extremely holy man, a true saint, and one of the most important theologians in church history. St. Thomas Aquinas was born in 1225 in the country of Italy, and he was born to a noble family. Uh, His father was actually a count, a royal count, uh, and his parents were related to the emperor. And so his family was very well connected with the noble ruling class of Italy. They were very rich. And so Thomas led a very privileged life as a child, along with his six older brothers and two older sisters. So a big family, a rich family, a happy family. Uh, When Thomas was five years old, he was sent by his parents to go to school. And he was going to be educated by Benedictine monks at the monastery at Monte Cassino, which at the time was the best education that money could buy. So Thomas was going to get some prime education. The abbot of the monastery, the leader of the monastery, was actually Thomas's uncle. And so since Thomas's older brothers had military careers and they had property from their father because they were older in the family, his family was grooming Thomas to become the next abbot of the most prestigious monastery in the country. This was the custom at the time because the younger son wouldn't have the property or the money being given to him by his father because his older brothers would have taken it all. Thomas would have been groomed to enter into the life of the church. But since he was from a rich and a powerful family, they were setting him up to become a monk, a leader of monks at the most influential center for education in Italy. Now, when little Thomas got to the monastery and began to school with the monks there, they were amazed at the kind of questions that little Thomas would ask. He would ask questions of the monks like, what is God? And they began to think to themselves, if he's asking questions like, what is God at the age of five, what will this boy become when he becomes older? And so Thomas, when he was at the monastery, he was taught about who God was. Some of his questions were actually being answered. He was taught the truths of the faith. He studied scripture, the writings of the saints, and he studied theology, which means the study of God. Now, later as a preteen, Thomas was moved to a different school. He was transferred to a different university where he studied philosophy. 
Now, philosophy is the study of wisdom. It is a survey of all the greatest thinkers in human history who all theorized on what the world is, what its meaning is, what the purpose of life could be. How do we know what's true? These are some of the questions that philosophy tries to answer. And so Thomas dove into this study of philosophy, trying to figure out the answers to life's deepest questions. And he studied philosophers like Aristotle, this ancient Greek philosopher who was not a Christian. He was actually pagan. He worshipped different gods. And so Thomas, reading these non-Christian philosophers, thought to himself, can their wisdom be used, even though they're not Christian and they don't have the fullness of truth, can their wisdom be used to deepen our Christian understanding of God? Like, could their philosophy help Thomas explain the nature of who God is, answer his deep questions about God that he still had from the time he was a little boy? Now, Thomas was very intelligent, but he was also extremely shy and introverted by nature. He didn't speak up in class often because he was usually thinking about thoughts that were deeper than what was actually going on in class around him. He was also uh, physically overweight and he moved slowly. And so because he was so big and quiet growing up, his classmates made fun of him. They made fun of Thomas thinking that he was slow and stupid and they actually gave him the nickname Dumb Ox. How do you like that? We're talking about bullying in the Middle Ages. Even back then, kids could be really mean in school. And so they bullied Thomas. They called him the dumb ox. But his teachers knew better. They knew that Thomas was above average in every single one of his classes. That eventually he was able to explain the lessons better than his own professor could. But Thomas was more than just an academic scholar. He wasn't just intense with his schoolwork, but he was actually intense about growing in his faith as well. As he was studying about God, he wasn't just learning things about God. He was learning who God was in and of himself. And he was spending time in prayer, actually speaking with the God who he was studying. He was learning things about God in order to know who God was himself. And so in his search for more of God, in his, his desire to grow to love him more and more, Thomas found a Dominican preacher named Brother John. Brother John was a powerful preacher who spoke about the love of God and how we need to respond to that love with our whole lives. And when Thomas heard this preaching, his heart was set on fire with love for God. And Thomas was convinced that God was calling him to become a Dominican as well. And so he actually took on the black and white habit, which was the robes that the Dominicans wore, and he traveled with them. He wanted to become a Dominican brother, this order that had been founded by St. Dominic. And when his family heard the news that their son, who they had sent off to school, had become a Dominican, they were shocked. You see, they wanted him to join the church. They wanted him to become a monk, but they wanted him to become a Benedictine. They didn't want him to become a Dominican. You see, Benedictines at the time were very well respected. 
They were an order who lived in well-established monasteries. They served as prestigious teachers and university professors. They could advance to the stage of abbot, the president of the monastery, like his uncle. And that's the future that they wanted for Thomas. But by contrast, Dominicans, who Thomas had joined, they were this new group in the church. They were this radical group of street preachers who traveled from town to town begging for their food. There was no honor for the family there. And so Thomas's mother decided to put a stop to this nonsense. She thought to herself, no son of mine is going to become a Dominican. Live on the road? Traveling from town to town begging and preaching in public streets? Not my son. Not my Thomas. And so she actually sent Thomas's older brothers to go and get their brother back. And so Thomas's older brothers kidnapped him while he was on the road. They tried to knock some sense into their little brother, but he wouldn't budge. He was a stubborn man. They even tried to rip his Dominican habit off by force. But remember, Thomas wasn't a small guy. He was a pretty big guy. And so he threw his weight around and he fought his brothers off. He wouldn't let them take his Dominican clothing off. And so they realized they couldn't beat him in a fight and they took him back to the castle and they locked him in a room thinking that he would eventually change his mind. He just needed time to think about it. And for months, they tried to convince him to leave the Dominicans. They threatened him. They tore his habit to shreds even while he was wearing it, but he refused to take it off. He wore the rags stubbornly. His mother came in to plead with him over and over again with tears and sobs. Even his sisters came in to beg him to come back home and live his whole life again. But none of it worked. In fact, Thomas was even able to convince one of his own sisters to become a nun, to dedicate her life to God, which made his family even more upset with him. And so one day his brothers stooped to an even lower temptation to try to get Thomas to break his vows that he had made with the Dominicans. And so one night the door of Thomas's room opened and his brothers sent into his room a beautiful woman to seduce Thomas and get him to break his vows. Can you imagine brothers doing this to their own little brother who's just trying to serve God? But this was the reality that Thomas was facing. Now, Thomas recognized his brother's twisted scheme. And he realized that if he didn't act quickly, he just might fall into the temptation that this woman was offering. Thomas knew his weakness. He knew how weak he was as a man. And so he grabbed a burning stick from the fire and he chased the terrified woman right out the door, chased her out of his room, and he burned a cross into the wall with the charred stick still in his hand. And he knelt down before that cross and he begged God, Lord, make me strong in the virtue of purity. Protect me from all temptations of lust. And that very night, Thomas had a dream in which angels came down from heaven and gave him a white belt, which symbolized purity. And when he woke up from that dream, he never struggled with impure thoughts towards women ever again. He was completely pure for the rest of his life. 
Now, eventually, Thomas's brothers had to release him. He never backed down, not even once, and so they eventually let him go. They couldn't keep him prisoner forever, and he rejoined his Dominican brothers and was ordained a priest. Now, right away, Thomas's intelligence and his teaching skills were recognized almost immediately, and before long, he was teaching theology at the prestigious University of Paris. Now, for years, Thomas had pondered the truth of who God was, who God was in his very nature. And now he was able to teach his students the truths that he had learned, the truths that he had figured out from long hours in study and prayer. And he learned and was able to teach his students the truth that God's very nature is to exist. Now, that might be confusing. You might be thinking to yourself, Isaac, I I haven't studied theology. I haven't studied philosophy. What does it mean to say that God's nature is to exist? Well, think about it this way. I don't have to exist. I myself, Isaac, I don't have to exist. You can very easily imagine a world where I don't exist. For instance, you can imagine my parents never met. They never got married, they never had a baby, and so I never existed. We can all imagine that. But God is different. God is not like that. Because for God, it's in his very nature to exist. It couldn't be any other way. It's not an accident that God exists, but God exists because there is no other way that he couldn't exist. So unlike me, who I could exist, I could not exist, God has to exist because it's in his very nature to do so. And so Thomas was teaching these deep truths to his students, trying to explain it to them, probably in a much better way than I ever could. But he was also showing his students logical proofs about why we know that God must exist in this way. And this argument that Thomas came up with is called the cosmological argument. It's some of the best arguments for God's existence that have ever been thought up in human history. And basically what Thomas did is he looked out at the universe and he got his students to look at the universe all around them and to work backwards from that to arrive at the existence of God. And Thomas would tell the students, well, look at this. Everything that we see around us, everything that is, exists because it got its existence from something else. So I came from my parents and my parents came from their parents, my grandparents and great-grandparents and great-great-grandparents and all the way back, all the way to the very beginning. Well, if you go all the way back to the very beginning, where did they come from? Where did everything come from? And we see this in all of the universe, plants and trees and animals, everything comes from something else before it. But something must have been there at the beginning. Something must have been there first. Something must have been there to start this whole chain of being, to start everything moving, to get everything going. And that something must be something that doesn't rely on anything else to exist. So I rely on my parents to exist. You rely on your parents to exist. And they rely on on their parents, but something has to exist that doesn't rely on anything else that existed in and of itself before everything. 
And Thomas said to his students, that thing is God. God is the thing, the someone who created everything else that has being. God set everything in motion that couldn't move itself. God started everything that couldn't start itself. God created everything that couldn't create itself. But he himself didn't need anyone to create him. He didn't need anything to get him going, anything to start him moving. He is sufficient in and of himself. Now, as you can imagine, this is pretty deep stuff that Thomas was thinking up. But it was also extremely interesting. And it was very exciting. And so the classes that Thomas taught at university were packed with students. Students flocked to his classes to hear him teach, to hear him ask questions about them. And Thomas ran a very interesting class. His style of teaching was where he would sit down and welcome objections from the class to his arguments. So they would ask him questions about why God exists. And he would even rephrase their questions to express them in the truest and most clever way possible. And then he would defeat their objections so to prove his point. And so his whole class was like a big debate with students asking questions and Thomas answering back and forth. And so over time, Thomas wrote down all of these arguments, all of these objections in a book form, writing many theological texts on hundreds of different questions of the faith. Now, the most famous of these, he wrote many, but the most famous book that Thomas Aquinas wrote is called the Summa Theologica which is Latin for the summary of theology, this huge text amassing all of this knowledge about the faith. And when I'm in seminary studying to become a priest, the Summa Theologica is one of the textbooks that we study the most in our path to becoming priests. So the wisdom of St. Thomas Aquinas has been given to the church and is being used all over the world to train people in the faith, to train priests to become teachers of the faith. That's how important this saint is. Now, Thomas didn't really write all of these books. Rather, he would speak them out loud. He would dictate them to scribes who would write them down for him. Often, Thomas had up to four different scribes writing at the same time. So he would be dictating four different books at once to four different people. And it was amazing. He didn't lose track. He picked up where he left off with every single one, going back and forth, back and forth, writing four books at the same time, a super complex theology with every single book. If you haven't picked up on it yet, this guy was a genius, super intelligent, very, very smart, able to pull off amazing feats of intelligence, writing these incredibly complex books of theology. But Thomas, like I said earlier, he wasn't just a brilliant scholar. Because for Thomas, the whole reason he was doing this theology, this pursuit of knowledge, was because he wanted to know more about the God who he loved. And so Thomas would not just study, but he would spend long hours in prayer. He'd slip seamlessly from study of God into conversation with God, back and forth, from study to prayer, study to prayer. And often, these prayer times would be so intense that he would lose track of time. He would be caught up in love and devotion for God in an experience 
called ecstasy. This ecstatic experience of being lost in time, lost in love of God. And when this happened, when Thomas would go into ecstasy, sometimes he would physically float in the air. Several of his brothers actually caught him doing this at different points. They would come into the chapel and they would see Thomas floating in the air, lost in praise of God. Now, this gift is called levitation. It's something that sometimes happens with saints who God is particularly close to. And Thomas experienced this several times. And one time he was hovering in the air, looking at a crucifix. And he heard a voice from the crucifix, Jesus saying to him, You have written well of me, Thomas. Now what reward will you have? Jesus was saying, Thomas, you have written so well of me. You've been able to tell so many people about the truths of the faith. What would you like as your reward? And Thomas, burning with love for God, was able to respond, None other than yourself, Lord. The only reward Thomas wanted was more of God, more of his love, more of his fire, more of his power. He wanted more of God. Another time after falling into ecstasy while saying mass, he came out of ecstasy and he told those around him, my work has ended. All that I have written appears to me to be so much straw after the things that have been revealed to me. Thomas, in ecstasy, was able to look at the glory of God. And his brilliant writings seemed to him valueless, as valueless as straw compared to the glory he saw in God during his ecstasy. And so because he had this experience, he never wrote anything again. He stopped writing completely. And I think God was preparing Thomas with this experience of seeing his glory. He was experiencing the glory of heaven. God was preparing him for heaven because Thomas was not to be spending that much more time on earth. His time on earth was coming to an end. About a month after this experience of going into ecstasy, Thomas became very sick. To the extent that one day while he was traveling on the road, he fell to the ground, unable to go on. He had fainted from his sickness and he was weak. And so he was taken to a nearby monastery where monks were able to tend to his illness. But he didn't get better. In fact, his condition got worse and worse until he eventually died before he turned 50. Now, 300 years after his death, St. Thomas Aquinas was named by the Pope to be a doctor of the church. Doctor of the church is a prestigious title that basically means the Pope is saying that this saint's writings are beneficial for the whole church in every generation, that there is timeless wisdom in the writings of this saint, that all Catholics can benefit from reading them. Pope John XXIII said about St. Thomas Aquinas that he enlightened the church more than all the other doctors. So more than all the other doctors of the church, the brilliant doctors of the church put together, St. Thomas Aquinas still shines brighter than all of them. St. John Paul II called Thomas Aquinas a master of thought and a model of the right way to do theology. 
That's why we as seminarians study St. Thomas Aquinas so thoroughly. That's why Catholic theologians and popes study St. Thomas Aquinas, soaking in his wisdom because St. Thomas was able to teach truths of the faith, to teach truths about God that no other saint has written about. Now, there's a lot that we can imitate in this saintly genius, St. Thomas Aquinas. But one thing that we can definitely take away from his life is that it is a good thing to learn about our faith. You might be wondering to yourself, Isaac, why do I have to study my faith? Why is that a good thing? Can't I just love God and have that be enough? Well, obviously, it's good to love God. You're never going to hear me say on this show not to love God. But we can only love what we actually know. Think about it. Can you love something that you don't know anything about? What if you're falling in love with someone? Could you imagine if you came home and told your family, Mom, Dad, I've fallen in love. And they said, really? What is this person like? Oh, actually, I don't know who this person is, but I've fallen in love with him. It doesn't make any sense. You can't fall in love with someone who you don't know. You can't love a food that you've never tried. You can't have your favorite song be a song you've never heard. And so for the same way, you can't love God unless you know something about him. So studying God is not an end in and of itself. It's for the purpose of coming to know God more. St. Thomas Aquinas didn't study just to get smarter or get a better teaching position. He did it because the more he learned about God, the more he loved him. And so if you want to become a saint, you have to put in effort to learn about God. You have to imitate St. Thomas and study your faith. And that can look like a bunch of different things. You can read a book that deepens your knowledge of God. So obviously the Bible would be a good choice, but also maybe the catechism of the Catholic Church, some of the writings of St. Thomas even. You can watch videos or shows that explain truths about the church, like Bishop Robert Barron or Dr. Scott Hahn. There's so many good theologians and teachers that we can soak in their wisdom from. And I'll bet that the more you learn about the church, the more you learn about the sacraments, the Bible, all of the truths of the faith, the more you'll be able to come to love God more than you ever did before. So let's pray right now to St. Thomas Aquinas that we would be able to become saints just like he was through studying God and coming to love him more because of it. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. St. Thomas, you had a hunger to learn more and more about the faith that you believed in. You worked hard to answer the tough questions about God that you wrestled with. Help us to become students of our faith, always going deeper, always coming to know more and more of the beauty of the church's teaching. St. Thomas, you were a man who didn't see study as an end in and of itself, but as a way to come to love God more and more. So help us to imitate you to launch us from knowing things about God to actually knowing God for who he is and experiencing his love in our lives. St. Thomas Aquinas, pray for us. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. 
Amen.